Welcome to the Within Us podcast. My name is Ozzy Jankovic and I am your host. I am so happy that you are here. Today's guest is simply incredible. I am speaking with Carrie Gard, who started a company. She is the COO of MKG Marketing. And the way that she has crafted her company is really around the values that she believes in most. Let me tell you a little bit more about Carrie and her company. She makes sure that her growing team has weekends off, unlimited sick days, and flexibility. They are also a 100% remote company. She also hosts a podcast, which you'll hear more about in the show. And she's responsible for human resources at her company. In this episode, she's going to give you all sorts of insights about how to set up a company around values, how to truly put the people in your company first, however you can, and so much more. She believes that people are first and that your expertise matters. I am so thrilled and so honored to introduce you to the fabulous Carrie Gard. I'm so excited to welcome you to the show, Carrie, and hear all about the work that you do. It is so purpose-driven, so values-driven, and so essential for every entrepreneur. Welcome to Within Us. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. You know, when I came across you and your company and the work that you're doing, it was so clear to me how much wisdom and how much insight you have to give over because there's so much about building a company based on values and based on what really matters that jumped out at me right away. So I would love to start with your story and how you started building a company and how this became so important to you. It was kind of an accident, a thoughtful accident, a very thoughtful accident, but I never dreamed of being an entrepreneur. I didn't wake up one day and, you know, early on in my career and go, I just really want to build a company. That was never anything I had aspired to. I actually went to school for photography on the East Coast of the United States. And then my dream was to move to New York. It was just the thing I needed to do. And so my uncle, who was a salesperson in advertising said, I can get you a job as a media planner. And he's like, do you know what media planning is? I'm like, nope, I don't care. Sign me up. Like you're telling me I can get to New York. That's all I care about. And so I went and worked in New York for a few years, working for big ad agencies. And I met my husband while on vacation in Hawaii. And he was in Seattle and I was in New York. And the only way for us to be together was for me to move to Seattle and start a life with him. And in doing so, I was able to meet my now business partner and we were at an agency. And this had been true for all the agencies I'd been at at that point where you do these big ad campaigns, you put a lot of money into them and then clients come back and ask you how you did. And you're like, well, like this many people saw your website and like looked at your products and saw your ads. And they're like, yeah, but how much money did we make? We were like, oh, yeah, no, we didn't measure that because that wasn't part of the scope. And it just became really frustrating for us to like constantly have these conversations about not being able to measure how much money they made. Like that's a really logical question. Yes, you should know how much money you made. And so oh, that's so interesting. So you were working in 
the ad space and these companies weren't measuring the ROI on the campaigns. Yeah, they weren't. They were big brands that in some cases couldn't because they were trying to sell their product in store and they didn't have, you know, a proper website for selling set up or we had one that was a hospital. And so we were trying to, you know, drive them patients. So they just weren't, and their website wasn't set up to actually measure the full end. And so we just realized that it was twofold. One, it was that clients were asking the right questions, but it was the wrong clients that could actually make it happen. So when we started our own agency, we pivoted. But the other thing we noticed is, so when we started the agency, it was just the two of us. We were like convinced it was only ever going to be the two of us. And we're going to work on these brands and these tech clients that we could measure end to end with. Like that was the dream. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to drive a pipeline for all of these tech companies. And it's going to be great. And then we realized that it couldn't just be the two of us forever. And that wasn't going to work. And so we brought on our first employee about two years in. He originally started as a contractor, helping us drive more of that bottom pipeline create that we just didn't quite know how to do as with the skill set that we had originally from the other agencies. Like we needed somebody who was a bit more in the weeds of this stuff. And so we brought on our first employee who was awesome. He had a family. Mike and I were the wild, wild west. We didn't have kids yet. We were a bit younger. We were living in Silicon Valley at the time. So we were like, you know, we didn't know what we were working 10, 12 hour days. We didn't know what that meant to like have a family. And so hiring somebody who did was just this really big mental shift of like, well, we're just used to working at ad agencies where you just work these crazy hours and this is just the life you live. But we sort of started started asking the question of, well, is it supposed to be the life we're living? Is this what's supposed to be happening? Like, this might be the life, but but is it a life we want? And is this making us all happy? And looking at Christian who had a kid at home and one on the way, we were like, this isn't sustainable. Like, what does our culture going to look like in five, 10 years? And who do we really want to be? And so that was when wow. we adopted this idea of people first. And in looking at our history of the companies we had come from, it was very churn and burn. Like people don't stay at agencies for longer than max two years. Really lucky if you can hold on. I've heard from friends who work at agencies that they literally have like every type of food available, beer on tap. They'll do anything they can to keep you there all day. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so- for us, it was the opposite. We were like, well, we don't need an office because people have kids and they need to be at home and they don't need commutes. That sounds awful. Plus our first employee was actually in Portland while we were in San Francisco. So we couldn't even have, even if we had an office, it's not anything he could go to. And so it really did spur this idea of work-life balance and instilling that early on of, we don't want you here all hours of the day. We need you to sign off at five and we need you to not be sending client emails after six. And so, so that's a major shift. That's a major shift. And I'm curious to hear a little bit more about why that's so important to you. Like what if there was someone who was so eager to work with you that they were interested in you know, sending those emails after six and working around the clock? Why would you shy away from someone bringing someone in like that? We wouldn't shy away from bringing anybody into that 
in like that. We want people who are enthusiastic about the work they're doing and the love for it, but we want them to also realize that you can have a life and be that enthusiastic. So like we have vacation days, 20 days, use it or lose it. Don't roll them over because we want you to go on vacation. We don't want you to send emails after six because that sets a bad precedent with the client. Then they'll start taking advantage and then they'll start emailing you after six and sometimes even trying to call you at like 11 o'clock at night. Those are true stories from previous agencies we have all been at. And oh, yeah, that I is not, that. you know, if you want to work in the evening or late at night, because that's what works for you, because that's when you're most productive, because you have kids, because of whatever, as long as you're able to show up to client meetings and be there throughout the day when people need you, you can work whatever hours work for you. It's about setting that precedent with the client that's important. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So schedule that email if you're going to send it out exactly. after six. Exactly. You can do that now. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I really see this as an answer to a lot of the challenges that have been brought forth by the digital era that we're in. Yes. I mean, it is easy to work around the clock, especially if you're working remotely, especially now given everything going on in the world, I mean, I think people are using it as an escape, which is, I think, problematic because it's not a good escape, right? It's burnout is what happens. And so you really do need that balance, even remotely, especially remotely, so that you don't end up in this inertia where you just go, 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 go until you are out of gas and done. You need to take those breaks and build them in. I hear all of this, you know, I hear it loud and clear. And I think that for our listeners who are entrepreneurs and for several of them who are really just starting out, I'm curious if you could share a structure or a system. I know you mentioned the 20 days off and the no emails after six. Is there a particular routine that you adhere to that you would recommend for creating sustainable habits in this journey? Yeah. So mine's interesting because I am the only person not in a US time zone. So I'm actually in the UK. I'm in the UK time zone. And so I'm five to eight hours ahead. And so I've had to really figure out how do I give time to my husband and to our marriage? How do I support my kids and make sure that they get time with me on a regular basis? And how do I show up to my company in a very visual way? that isn't me working my nine to five so that when they get online and they need something that I'm there. And so what I've done is I've blocked off my mornings. I don't work nine to 12. My husband is also a remote worker and he owns his own company. So he's got a ton of flexibility. And so that's time for us. And he calls me on it. He did it today. I had a meeting at 9am today. And he's like, I thought the mornings were our time. And I was like, you're right. And I'll make sure this doesn't, I will make wow. sure this doesn't happen again. And so he's really good at holding me accountable. And so we spend the mornings together doing chores, getting, you know, grocery shopping, going out to grab breakfast together. And so that's our time. And then I start work around 11. I take a break when the kids get home from school for an hour to give my husband, he works really well from 12 to four. So I'm able to give him those four hours by me taking the kids. He jumps in at four. I get on with the team from four to five. And I always have a meeting from four to five. Inevitably, there is a meeting from four to five. 
And then I have dinner from five to eight and then I'm back on eight to 10. So my day is very split up, but it allows me like a good chunk of time from 11 to three to go heads down and get whatever the biggest thing is out of the way. So whatever's going to take me the most time, I use that time to do it. And then the rest of the day is basically jumping in and out of being with my family and in meetings. And then I end my day, you know, late, but then I just go to bed and I have my mornings to do whatever I want to do either with my husband or for me. And so I've just sort of flipped my day. This is so good. It's so synchronous because just yesterday I had a meeting with my wellness coach and we had a conversation about time differences, right? Juggling time because I'm also in Israel and a lot of my clients are in the States and all of these things. And we came up with a plan that I wouldn't start working until 10 every morning. And I've almost stuck to it for two days in a row. (laughs) It's not easy. It's not, but when you find things for you, like I will listen to podcasts. I joined Masterclass. I'm a huge fan of masterclass.com. I think their content is amazing, especially for business owners. Amazing content on there. I'll spend What's your, What are some of your favorite, because we have Masterclass. I'm curious to hear from you. What are some of your favorite courses on that platform? I just finished Howard Schultz from Starbucks. Oh, so good. His was so good. But my favorite was actually Doris Keaton. She's a researcher and she researches the United States presidents. And so she pulls three presidents out, LBJ, Lincoln, and I believe FDR. And she talks about what makes them great leaders. Oh, I love that. Good. It is so good. It's long, but it is. I love that so much, which leads me to my next question for you, which is what do you think, Carrie? in this experience that you've had now, you've been building this company since you brought in that first employee. How many employees does your company have currently? So we just hired our 15th. So you're running a company with 15 people Mm -hmm. and you're leading them. So I'd love to hear about what's guided you. What are the guiding principles? What do you see as the critical components to leading a company? I think in this day and age, with the way the world has shifted, you have to lead from a core value of empathy where it's no longer dictating what needs to happen all the time or making demands of your team, but bringing in the right people who have certain skill sets that offset your own and then being a really good listener. And it's really hard when you've built something and you've called it your own for so long. And then to bring people in who have different ideas and different viewpoints or have similar ideas and similar viewpoints and hold you accountable to those. And so that was quite the journey for me of having to sort of let go and not let this be just mine. I'm an only child. So I have a little bit of a challenge with sharing. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So... It was always fine sharing with Mike because we started it together, but then let other people in and let their ideas in and take them and run with them was a really hard struggle initially, but it is the thing that propelled us forward in such an amazing way because you're able to bring in those other perspectives around the same core values of who you are or what you're trying to do as a company, but in a way that is actually accessible 
to the rest of the organization now, because it's not just your point of view. It's everybody's. This is so fascinating. So I would love to hear more about this journey. So from that day that you hired that first employee, where did you go from there? I mean, your background was in marketing, right? You'd been working. My background was in marketing. Yeah. So my background was in marketing, specifically media planning, media planning, Um, originally in traditional media planning. So TV ads, radio ads, billboards, and then I shifted to digital, you know, so when you go to google.com, you type in a keyword, you know, those first three results are paid advertising. And then, you know, banner ads, video, I mean, video is huge now with pre-roll and now it's just all throughout videos. Now it's just advertising Facebook. You have the ads on Facebook and LinkedIn and social. So social's kind of taken on a whole world of its own. And so advertising, especially in the digital world has exploded these last 10 years. And so that's where we sit is in the digital space. as In the digital space. So tell me about the focus. So you went from these big companies. And then you had your own ideas. You hired that first employee, you had your values. They were so clear. And then how did you choose your focus in terms of the clients you're choosing to serve and really build out that system, bringing in your team? It was a labor of love. You know, it's trial and error. When you first start off as any agency, any service-based agency, you tend to be a yes person to everything and everything, because you just need to figure out what you can and can't do. I mean, at one point we were building websites because my husband's an engineer, a web developer. And I was like, show me how, like, I want to do this. And so I was building websites for the first few years of MKG. And we did these big social campaigns around content. And we were sort of all over the place because we were just trying to figure out what would stick. What do we enjoy doing? What is driving revenue and good profit margins? What works well together? And so when we looked at the numbers, I was pregnant at the time, the twins, and we looked at the numbers and website building was just sucking us dry. We didn't Mm. have the infrastructure to really take on a lot of website builds. And when we did, they were... I mean, it was me, it was pretty much all me and that's not scalable. And Mike looked at me and said, I mean, if this is really what you love doing, we'll figure it out and we'll make it profitable, but that's a whole different avenue we got to go explore. And I was like, we have three core services that are doing well, that we don't have to start from scratch, that we have team members on board already who are doing the work. We need to go in this direction around digital advertising SEO and analytics. And so we made- Okay, so there was like a testing space where you were trying things out for size. And then once you ran your numbers, you realized what was working, Mm -hmm. what was flowing. Yep. Going back to our core mission originally of being able to measure impact on their bottom line, website building wasn't doing that. I mean, we could do that, but we couldn't say, okay, you spent $30,000 with MKG on building a website. And now because of that, you're making X. I mean, it's, you can't just build a website and they will come. You have to go do advertising. You have to make sure the SEO behind it's all, you know, lined up. You have to make sure the analytics is. I love that so much. I think we could even just repeat that like 10 more times because so many people come to me when they're starting out and they believe that they need a website. 
so strongly or they believe that their website, you know, needs to work for them. And meanwhile, they're getting all their clients on social media. I mean, it really depends on what you're doing. I mean, this day and age, people have built entire businesses on the back of Instagram where they don't even I think that's such an important thing to think about, you know, for beginning entrepreneurs, especially even someone looking to sort of tighten things up, where's the ROI? Where do you want to be spending your time? Right? Yeah. What are you like doing? Because if it's bringing you in money, but you don't like doing it, is that really worth it to you then? Mm, Absolutely. It's such an important point, Carrie. So when you realized what you liked doing, what were the changes in your business from that point? Who are you focusing on now? And how are you helping your clients? So when I came back from maternity leave, you know, as an entrepreneur, you sort of fill in the gaps. So we brought people in to start doing the actual service line work from creating and driving PPC campaigns to writing SEO and audits and all of that. And then the analytics piece. So we pulled people in to do those things. And then there was a gap between the people doing the work and our clients. And so Mike and I filled in the gap and said, okay, we're account directors now. So let's dial it back for a second because I'm not sure everybody knows what those terms are. You said SEO and you said PBC in terms of campaigns. Yeah, so digital advertising. I mean, we basically had people pulling the lever first. We had people doing the work. SEO is search engine optimization. So when you have a website, you need to make sure that it's as readable for people as it is for Google so that you rank against what people are searching for. And PPC, so if you type in a keyword on Google, And then you look at the top three results, like I mentioned, that's PPC, pay per click. So you're buying that space. And if somebody clicks on your ad, then you're going to pay a certain amount for that click. And then below that is what's rising based off of how your website is built from an SEO perspective. So there's an art to actually getting on that first page. It's not just, I built a website. And so now everybody's just going to come to it. You have to make sure you have a keyword strategy. Okay. Well, what keyword makes sense for my business? Then you have to layer in, all right, we need to build these landing pages that tell the story around these keywords and make sure that then they rank. And it's this whole art that we've literally built a whole team dedicated to serving our clients around because it's forever changing. And there's so many details and nuance to it. It changes by industry, it changes by whether you're local or you're global, it's huge. And so it's amazing to think that you could just build like sort of this, but I built a website, I should just start ranking, I should just start showing up. And that's actually, especially if you're in a competitive space, not the case at all. I can imagine it's so much more than that. You know, I've done just a little bit of work looking at the back end of say my blog. Mm -hmm. And I know that in order to you know, up-level the SEO, there are so many changes you need to make just on one blog, like the sentence length and how many times you mention the keywords and do you write subtitles? And there's more than that, live links and all the things. It's an entire science. It is, yeah. Yeah, this is so interesting. So talk to us a little bit about your company now and where you stand and who you're working with and all of those good things. Yes, so when we first got into Silicon Valley. So my husband ended up getting a job at Netflix, which moved us from Seattle to San Francisco, specifically to San Jose. And so Mike was like, yeah, I'll go. And so when we landed in the Bay area, 
it just made sense to go for tech clients because that's where they all are. It also made sense to go for tech clients because you could actually measure their revenue, which was really what we wanted to do and what we've stayed true to, to this day. And so we've only really worked with tech clients. We've gone off here and there to test the waters of other industries, but we always keep coming back to tech and that's really where our heart is. And so tech and healthcare is where our sweet spot is. And specifically around demand gen, which is creating a lot of the times tech companies are breaking into a brand new, they're almost creating an entirely new vertical in some cases. And so in order to do that, there's certain things they need to be thinking about. And by doing that over and over again ourselves for tech clients of helping them break into these new verticals. It's something we've been able to essentially recreate. I mean, we have to show up and tailor it per client, but it's something we know how to do because we've done it so much. We know how to. Can you share an example with our listeners of a case study where your company worked on that? Yeah. So we have a client up in Seattle where they were trying to create this whole idea around wire data. So when your systems are all connected, they're passing information between all these different computers and servers and your network and whatever else. And there's data in that. And so how can they capture that data and create this reporting system that allows you to see when a system might go out or be able to catch things before they happen? And it was this whole new idea that they basically created. And so we had to take this idea of wire data, a word that did not exist in search terms. People were not looking for this and you have to go let people know this thing exists. And so we were able to do that through what problems are people searching for? And then how can we educate them on this solution that they didn't even know was out there? So instead of looking at the term wire data and going after this term that nobody's looking for, How do you go look at what Mm. problems people have? So in other words, it's like learning the language of the ideal client. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, so now we've been with this client for over four years and they're doing great. They've just really owned the space. Other competitors have come in and it's them that people end up going to. So it's been great being part of their journey. Wow, it's incredible. So you've accomplished so much and it is such an honor to speak with you and to hear about your whole experience. And I would love to hear specifically any advice that you have for an entrepreneur who's right at that point, like just about to hire that first employee in terms of getting set up for success and for really creating that harmony and that synchronicity within the company. So two things I would say, one is stay true to your roots, stay true to why you wanted to build the company in the first place. It's so important to really honor your mission and it might evolve and that's good because you want to evolve with the times, but it should still speak to the core of why you started and then build your values around that. Who are you as a person and how do you want that to reflect within your organization and the people you want to bring in and the culture and company you want to build? Because as you start to hire, your values are going to be the thing that guide you in making that final decision of, are they a values fit? And are they going to help us continue to grow in a way that continues to honor those values and honor our mission? I think if you can get those two things right, 
and stay true to them and allow them to evolve as you grow and you bring in new people and new ideas, then you can hold the line for a very long time. This is so refreshing. I'm curious to hear if there were any systems or what kind of learning did you have to do in your process of starting to build a company? I had to learn HR. You had to learn HR. Okay. So talk to us about that a little bit. I am the HR director now because that's what happens, right? So you figure out where the gap is and then you fill it. So at three people, I didn't need an HR director at, at five or six people. I didn't need an HR director, but once we got to about eight, 10, I was like, okay, we need actual real process around what it means to have employees. Originally, we were just giving people, you know, bigger salaries to offset benefits. That wasn't sustainable because people then weren't taking care of themselves. And so by offering benefits, and we had unlimited vacation days, people weren't taking vacation. So we all of a sudden needed to create these policies around our values so that we were taking care of our people. And in order to do that, I needed to go learn HR and what it means to be HR. And can we do HR differently where people aren't scared of HR? Where if I show up, people aren't like, oh no, HR is here. Oh gosh. It's more of like, oh, I have all these questions and I was wondering about this thing. And, or if I do have to show up to say, hey, listen, this thing happened, it's more of like a conversation and it's built with empathy and perspective and, wanting to work with that person versus them being like, you know, oh no, right? And so that's certainly been a journey for me in figuring that out. And I still have a lot to learn. I am no expert and we probably will bring in an actual HR director in the next few years. But that was a huge turning point of once you have to identify capabilities outside of your core services where you have to support your people like HR and finance and your own marketing department, like that's a huge shift in being an entrepreneur where you just mm-hmm. have to go out of what your expertise is and go figure it out. Well, it's so humble of you, you know, to share that, that you feel like you're still learning and also inspiring in the sense that you taught yourself, you figured it out, like you said. Well, I mean, yes, I taught myself, but I also went and found resources So, okay. So let's talk about that a little bit. How did you get started? How did you go about that? So first I looked at systems. So at the time it was very cutting edge. These new systems were coming out that were HR systems. We use Zenefits now. Gusto is also a really great one where they have all this onboarding stuff sort of built in. So from hiring to payroll to time off, to benefits. And so because there was these things that I needed to sort of go answer to fill in this paperwork to get these systems updated, I had to go, you know, do some research. What are other companies doing? What benefits are other companies offering? I went and talked to everybody I could about well, you work at these companies. What benefits do you like? What's working for you? What's not? What do you wish you had? And then I looked at myself and said, well, what do I want? What's important to me? We offer maternity paternity leave for 12 weeks paid. You know, that's important as a mother who went through that, you need at least 12 weeks to go be with your new family off the grid, not working. If I could give longer, I will someday. You are such a human. I think that's what human resources is supposed to be. Human. So human. It's so 
hugely important. I can imagine I was fortunate to be able to take a lot of time off when I had my four kids. I can't even imagine feeling the pressure to go to work at that critical time. It is. It is critical. I went back too early. I felt this pressure that as an entrepreneur, I couldn't hold myself to the same general standards of regular people of what they deserve. And so I went back at eight weeks part-time and it was such a mistake. I was not ready. It was not helpful to my team. It was probably more hurtful. And my husband was definitely struggling for sure. So yeah, I just, you know, think about your own, you know, what you want as an entrepreneur and what work-life balance looks like for you and what benefits you would want to then be able to give was one of the sort of journeys I went on and figuring that out. My point is, is I didn't do it alone. I went and did my homework. I went and talked to everybody. I joined YEC, which is Young Entrepreneurs Council. My business partner joined EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization, where we went and basically joined groups where they had running businesses. And we talk about what challenges they're facing and, you know, what lessons they learned so we could learn from them. You know, that's brilliant. It's not anything you need to do alone by, you know, when you're starting off doing something you've never done before. If you're a CEO and all of a sudden you need to get marketing up and running, I mean, there's certainly things you can start to do, but go find somebody who can, you know, at least get the bare bones up for you, right? Whether that's an outside agency or even just a person, a contractor who can come in and support you. Like, I feel like as entrepreneurs, we sort of get in our heads that we need to do it. We need to figure it out. And that's not the case. Use your network, use the people around you. Online courses are great. And a lot of them are free or very nominal in terms of cost. So, I mean, I think I did a lot of trial and error more so than I think I had to. Interesting. Well, it makes so much sense to me what you're saying. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in coaching and consulting and asking people who are a few steps ahead. So I really appreciate this. I really appreciate all of your insights. This has been incredible. I'm certain that the team members in your company must absolutely love working with you. I hope so. I enjoy working with them. It just sounds absolutely ideal. So tell our listeners where they can find you and learn more about everything that you're doing. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I do everything in terms of networking on LinkedIn. You can also go to our website. I have my own podcast you can check out, which is all about helping tech marketing leaders build their businesses through transparent, measurable digital advertising, digital marketing. Okay. And we're going to put links in the show notes to all of these things, but it's Carrie Gard on LinkedIn. That's K-E-R-R-Y-G-U-A-R-D. And Carrie, remind everyone the name of your podcast. It's Tech Marketing Leaders Podcast. Perfect. This is so good. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Within Us. I'm so glad that you're here. Your time is absolutely precious and it means so much to me to have you here and to have you as a part of this community. If you're interested in more content just like this, be sure to click subscribe wherever you are listening. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. And if you shoot a screenshot of your review straight to me, 
Ozzy at drozzy.co, you will be entered to win a partial scholarship to a mastermind or my brand new program. I'd love to hear from you and stay connected. The free Facebook community is absolutely incredible. It's called Your Creative Legacy with Ozzy Jankovic. We have posts and threads and an incredible free three-day retreat coming up where I will walk you through the exact steps that you can use to create your unique course or program. I have the great pleasure of working with so many entrepreneurs over the past year and a half doing exactly this, and the results are astounding. Your voice needs to be heard. So join me in your Creative Legacy Facebook community. You can click the link in the show notes and I will see you inside. Until next time, wherever you are in the world, I hope that you are meeting yourself with kindness. See you next time.